your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And so tonight we are starting our, our fall series on Ephesians. We're going to go all the way through the book over the next uh, 12 or 13 weeks, finish up on Reformation Sunday um, uh, as we kind of head into the, to the uh, sort of holiday season and Advent season. So, um, But hope you'll be with us as much as you can um, for that, that extended series. You know, when, when we have an extended series, sometimes there's, is if, if you miss times, um, you, you, you don't get quite the flow of the way, of way the message is going. And so also encourage you to, and I think most of you know this, but, but we have sermons on, on Spotify and on iTunes. And so you can access them through either of those, um, uh, platforms. Um, we try to keep them pretty updated. Sometimes it takes a couple of days before we get them posted, but, um, but if you miss a sermon, you can, we can catch up before the end of the, uh, beginning of the next week. So, um, so Ephesians chapter one, and what we're going to do tonight is just kind of do a, a, an intro. We're going to kind of go quickly. I know you're like, yeah, whatever, Ash. Um, but, uh, we're going to try to, uh, get through it quickly and just kind of hit, um, sort of the big themes, um, as we, as we get ready to dive into, uh, the book of Ephesians. So, um, starting in, um, verse one, uh, we're going to look at verse one, two, nine, and 10, but I'll just go ahead and read that whole section to kind of get us started. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the, full, to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Father God, as we open up your word and as we um, look into the incredible things that, that you have for us there, uh, Father, we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would stir these things up in our lives, that you would shine light on on your word and um, help us to understand it rightly. God, help us to take from it what you intend for us to see there. Um, God, help us to to um, follow not only the, the the big and general picture of your word, God, but um, but to zoom on zoom in on the. Uh, um, individual little phrases and words and, and the beauty and grace and glory that we see in each one of these places as we, as we open up um, this picture of who you are and, and what you have done uh, for us. Um, God, thank you for all your many blessings. Thank you for this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I'm a nerd, right? Aware of that? Well aware of that? We've talked about that. So this last week, movie history was made. I don't know if you knew that. Um, Avengers Endgame, 
um, became the highest grossing movie of all time this last week. Um, I, I don't know the exact number because I looked at the old number, but it's somewhere in the range of $2.79 billion that it has made worldwide at this point, right? So it is, it is the highest grossing movie of all time. Um, uh, I love all things nerd. Right. I love all things nerd. Um, and it is very satisfying to me personally that the highest grossing movie of all time is an Avengers uh, movie. Um, I've been a fan of you know comic books and that stuff since I was a kid. And so it's nice that the things I was made fun of when I was 12 are now what all of people are buying. Like I love that makes me feel justified um, that they've become these pop culture kind of phenomenons. Right. Um, now, there's many things I think that draw us to those movies or draw people in general to those movies. Obviously, if this many people have seen this movie and enjoyed it, there's something about it that resonates uh, with people. Um, and I think it's the same things that, that have drawn me to all kinds of sci-fi and fantasy stuff uh, throughout my life. If you look at the 10 highest grossing films of all times, you notice something, okay? So I'm going to give them to you real quick. Ready? From number 1 to 10. Avengers Endgame, Avatar, Titanic, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Avengers Infinity War, Jurassic World, Marvel's The Avengers, Furious 7, Avengers Age of Ultron, and The Black Panther. Okay, That is the ten highest grossing movies of all time. Four of the ten are Avengers movies, Okay, first off. Five of the ten are comic book movies. Eight of the ten are sci-fi fantasy um, kind of movies, all right? And all eight of those have something in common, and I would even argue that the two oddballs, which are Titanic and Furious 7, uh, which one of them is obviously a romance movie and the other one is more of like an action kind of movie, even those two tap into the similar characteristic that all of those eight other movies have, right? And that characteristic is this, that they are all epic, Okay, that all of those movies have an epicness to them. They are big stories, right? They are big in scale. They are big in scope. They are big in the stakes um, that are going on in the movie. In fact, in most of those stories, literally the fate of the universe is at stake, right? In, in like six of the of the ten, right? And even the ones that are, are not, right? When you see something, a movie like Titanic, right? For the people who lived in the time of the Titanic, right? Like the Titanic was kind of like the biggest thing that had ever happened, right? It was a big deal even then. There was an epicness, even if it, it's on a, a much smaller scale than, than Star Wars or the Death Star or something like that, right? Um, but the stakes are big, man. This, these, these movies are presenting something that's epic, okay? Um, I know that's part of what draws me to those movies is the bigness of them. But, but the epicness of those things is only half of the equation because it can't just be big. Like, a movie can't just be big and have these big kind of things. There also has to be a personal, intimate kind of story connected with it too, right? The best stories are always about characters, um, and, 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 and the interaction between people and, and what's going on in their lives, right? Great stories combine those two things. They can combine the epic and the intimate, right? So I think of things like Lord of the Rings or, or the Harry Potter books, right? Those are stories that, that have this combination of not only being epic but also being very personal. It's the reason why the Star Wars prequels, 
Episodes 1, 2, and 3 feel dry and wooden, right? Because they're very epic, but they, they're not very personal kind of movies, right? And it's also the reason why a movie like 500 Days of Summer or The Notebook is not on the top ten movies of all time, right? Because while very personal movies, they, there's, the, the scale is not very big, right? We're dealing with one dude's relationship or something like that, right? And so um, they're, they're not, they, they may be intimate, but they're not very epic. I think that's the reason why Endgame has done so well. For one, it's obviously epic, but two, if you've watched these movies and you've cared about those characters, man, there is... It's all the feels, right? Like it hits all those buttons with the, in, the, in the feels category, okay? It's not just, though, sci-fi fantasy that does that, right? Like that's not the only thing that, that, that is like that. So, for example, I'll bet very few of you have read a, a hard history military account of World War II, right? Which is certainly our most epic war, right? Worldwide in terms of, of numbers and money and, and forces and deaths and all those things, right? It's, it's our most epic war. And yet at the same time, even though you haven't ever done that, I'll bet when you saw Saving Private Ryan or you watched the, the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers, right? There was an emotional um, connection that, that, that happened there, right? Because all of a sudden that big grand scale story was brought into a very personal context and those two things meet, right? Um, the human heart needs both, right? We need both of those things. We need an epic scale, and we need to see an intimate side to those things as well. I say all that to say this. Ephesians is that, okay? It's all about that. Um, if you look at the book of Ephesians in, in, in the Bible that you've got in your lap right now, right, it probably takes up no more than three or four pages at most. It's only 155 verses, right? The whole thing is 155 verses. Most of us could read it in less time than it would take to watch an episode of The Office, okay? Yet theologian Kyle Snodgrass says this, and I, and I love this, pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document in history. Okay? Now, now I mean, what he means by that is this. For its shortness, right, for its brevity, combined with what it says and the influence that it has had, it might be the most important document in history. And I think there's something to be, that it, it should change our perspective, because i got a feeling like most of us just come to the Bible and we go, oh yeah, Ephesians, right? It's one of those four little letters in the middle of all the other stuff in the New Testament, right? There's more going on there. There is, there is something significant. You may think to say this is the most important, most influential document in human history, you might think that sounds grandiose or exaggerated or hyperbole, right? But I don't think it is. I think it is very much in keeping with what we find in the book of Ephesians, right? Because the content of Ephesians is very rightly described as epic. As I studied looking through different commentaries and stuff, um, as I'm preparing kind of for this series or whatever, the word epic kept on popping up in everybody's introductions to the book of Ephesians, right? Epic, awesome, cosmic um, was a word that was used sometimes, right? Those words, by and large, have lost their meanings for us, right? Like, we don't think of those words rightly. Uh, have you been on the new roller coaster at Dollywood? It was epic. No, it wasn't, right? It wasn't epic. It might have been fun, but it wasn't epic. Um, Sonic has corn dogs, two for a dollar? That's awesome, 
right? It's not awesome, right? Um, there's nothing awesome about two for a dollar corn dogs, okay? Uh, you have pictures of avocados on your socks. Cosmic. Nobody says cosmic that way, but, but I'm, we're, we're going to try to push it. That's going to be a new thing, like, you know. Indy and I watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure the other day, and I was like, cosmic, yeah, man. Uh, Maybe we can start that. I don't know. Um, Ephesians, though, is epic. And it does something particular. It aims to peel back the veil and give us a glimpse into the truly epic reality that lies behind everything we do in our daily lives. Okay? Um, and that is important because, again, humans need a vision of the universe that is epic. And so as you read God's word and you grow in God's word and it begins to change you, I think something happens. And it may be something that you don't recognize, but, but I think it's, it's true of just about everybody who studies the, the scriptures intently. You begin to think in terms of the scriptures, okay? Um, your categories, your definitions, you begin to think in terms of what the Bible has told you, okay? But here's something interesting, right? Um, while you start to see through this lens of the scriptures, and we've talked about that idea before, kind of like putting on sunglasses, right? Like if you put on blue-tinted sunglasses, everything looks blue. When you put on the lenses of the scriptures, you start to see the world in light of the scriptures, Okay? But something happens, and this is maybe something that you don't even recognize. Often it is the case that you don't see your life and the world around you in terms of all of the scriptures. You see it in terms of only certain scriptures. Okay. Now, I don't mean that in the kind of way where like people pick and choose which scripture they want to believe, right? And they sort of go, well, I don't like what that says, so I'm not going to listen to that. That's not what I mean. I mean, what happens is we tend to, when we read the scriptures, we find certain sections of scripture that become paradigms for us, right? Um, that become these sort of things, these big box categories that we can sort of say, okay, I understand things in, in terms of these concepts now or whatever. So, for example, um, the most commonplace, I think that people do this, certainly reformed people do this, is the book of Romans. Okay? People read the book of Romans and, and they understand the categories and the layout of the book of Romans, right? And then they start recognizing and going, oh, I understand the way sin works. I understand the way desire works. I understand the way salvation works. Putting it into these kind of categories, okay? Um, obviously, Romans is a big book. And I'll be honest, Romans is, is, is the thing that is the most like a lens for my life and spirituality and preaching, okay? It is the, it is the book that I most put categories, uh, put things into those categories, right? When I read the Bible, or anything else, honestly, for that matter, um, if I am thinking biblically, I'm putting things in Romans categories. That's just the influence that the book of Romans has had on my life. Um, now, it should be obvious to us that not every book in the Bible can be that kind of lens, right? Because not every book is, is, uh, is multifaceted enough, okay? Romans is a big book. That's what makes it easier to be a lens kind of book, okay? It's comprehensive. It has lots of topics in it. It's ideal for being a lens book, okay? Philemon, 
not a lens book, right? Lots of good stuff in Philemon, but you can't form a worldview around what you find in Philemon. Third John, not a lens book, right? It's just, there's just not enough there. Um, even some of the larger letters and stuff that we find in the New Testament, Philippians or James, I would argue are not quite big enough. They're not quite comprehensive enough for us to, to create a kind of worldview lens out of them, right? All that to say, Ephesians is. Ephesians, even though it is a relatively small book, it's a book that is comprehensive enough, you could say, to become a lens book. Uh, Its scope and its scale and its stakes are epic, and it gives us this new vision of our place in the universe. Um, In particular, John Calvin saw it that way, right? John Calvin um, put particular esteem on the book of Ephesians and said, this is kind of the way that um, I see all other life and theology through, is through the categories that Ephesians gives me, right? I, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks back during another sermon. I read an interesting book about John Wesley, who is not a Reformed guy. And John Wesley has a lot of interesting nuances to his theology that a lot of people have problems with. And this author was saying, the reason that is, is because Wesley uses 1 John as his lens, which was a fascinating concept. If you're a theology nerd, all of a sudden go, oh, I get it. Like, I get why you're so eccentric in your theology, Wesley, because you're seeing everything through the light of the book of 1 John. And almost nobody else does that. Right. So that makes a lot of it makes a whole and some of y'all are going, I I got no idea what you're talking about, Ash. Um, It's okay. Don't worry about it. Okay, just just grab onto this idea that we have these lenses. And Ephesians is like that. Ephesians can be one of those lenses. Um, Again, if you take a different book, it's not wrong, okay? But what happens is you will see things in a little bit different way, right? If you're thinking through Ephesians categories, you'll probably see things in a slightly different way than if you had Romans categories or apparently 1 John categories, all right? Um, so today, again, I want to just kind of like briefly hit on a couple of the, the, the high things that will intro us into um, this book. And so sort of look at the opening lines and some of the themes that, that I, or, or, or the passages that I think are the theme verses for this text, okay? And so I think that theme verse is chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, right? This is what the whole book is getting at, um, you could say. There's going to be a lot of different um, additions to that and, and sort of rabbit trails and dog legs and, and building on those concepts, but the core of it is in uh, chapter 1, verse 9-10, where it says this, God making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, Okay. So what do you see in those two verses just right there? Well, broadly, what you see is God has had a plan, a story that he has been playing out since the beginning of time. And that up until the time of Christ, the full picture of that story was a mystery, right? Nobody understood the full picture of what was going on. The where that the story was going, the how it would get there was not clearly seen. 
Um, it was prophesied about in, in the Old Testament. It was hinted at in the scriptures. But nobody understood how this thing was all going to g- come together. But then the then passage the 9 and 10 says, but in the fullness of time, right, which basically means the point at which God decreed and decided that it was time and all the pieces were in place, the mystery was revealed. And what is the mystery? The mystery is this, that Jesus is the key to the story, that he is the central character, that he is what uh, not only the Greek philosophers, but the beginning of the book of John, reflecting on those Greek philosophers, calls the Logos, right? He is the ultimate truth, the organizing principle of everything. But the principle is not a principle, the principle is a person, Right? The, the central thing to the whole story is not an idea, it's not a concept, it's not a truth, it's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. He took on flesh, he dwelt among us, he was crucified, he was resurrected, and he is the person around which everything else revolves in the entire universe. And he has come, and this is the second part of that mystery, he has come so that all things... And the word there is, it's, it's this crazy Greek word, and I thought, I'm going to say that crazy Greek word and sound fancy. And then I was like, I would never be able to say it. It's like this long. It's this big crazy Greek word. But basically what it means is this. It means he came to sum up all things, to unite all things, to bring together all things under one head. And there's even the implication in the word that they used to be all under one head, and then something happened to where they were scattered, and now they are being brought back under one head, okay? And so Jesus has come to do that. That is that is the the mystery that was was prophesied for all ages that Jesus the Messiah is coming and that he is going to bring all things back to um, together to bring all things under the the headship of himself and God the Father, okay? And so you notice this this kind of idea of the once and future supremacy and centrality of Christ in all things, you see it not only in Ephesians, but you see it in the book of Colossians too, which is sort of Ephesians' companion letter. I don't know if, you, if you're aware of that. Like they're, they're sort of two letters that are meant to be taken together. And so I would encourage you over the next few months as we read Ephesians, maybe every once in a while dip into Colossians too, because they kind of explain each other and they build on each other. And so in Colossians chapter 1, In verse 6, it says this, For by him, this is talking about Jesus, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Right? That's exactly, you could say this, Colossians 1.6, I'm sorry, not 1.6, 1.16 through 20, right, is an explanation of that one long word in in verse 9, right? It is this idea of saying, 
It all belongs to him. It's, it was all under him. It got scattered, and now he is bringing it all back together. Okay, And that is an elaborated explanation of that, that one kind of passage. Okay, And so, so there's that idea, but notice this too. And it sort of zooms in on this in verse 9 and 10. It says that he's going to unite all things. All things are going to be summed up in, in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Right. Notice something that is that is pointing us to the two ways that the universe has scattered most obviously. Okay, the things on heaven and the things on earth. Um, They're both elaborated on in the text of Ephesians and Colossians. But what it's basically getting at is these two great issues of disunity that we find in the world around us. And they are these two things. Number one, the alienation of humanity. That is our disobedience and our separation from God. Okay, so we're basically dealing with our own salvation. That's the first big issue. Those are the things on earth. And then the things in heaven is talking about the rebellion of the angelic forces. Right. And so we're talking about the the powers and the principalities and all these things. The cosmic war that lies behind um, what is going on in, in the world around us. Okay, those two things represent the main categories of ways that this universe is broken. Our relationship with God is broken, and there is a war going on in, in, in the heavenly realms, okay? Ephesians is going to talk about that more. Colossians talks about it more. So, again, sort of looking to Colossians to help explain Ephesians, Colossians 2.13 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, right? So there's the human aspect. That is the fixing of our um, isolation. That is the fixing of our alienation from God. But then notice what it then says in verse 15. And... He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, right? So what does it do? It, it, it ties that idea and says, not only have you been saved, humanity, through this, not only has your alienation been fixed with God, but guess what else? The spiritual forces that have been at war with God and have sort of caused this whole problem, right, even from the tempting of Adam and the breaking of the world, right, um, those forces have been conquered, all right. Um, the 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 landing at Normandy has happened. Right. The beginning of the end of these um, forces has already started. OK. And so you could say it like this, a little alliteration for you. Our debt has been canceled and the demons have been crushed. That's what this is all about. OK. Intimate in terms of our own lives and salvations, cosmic and epic in terms of the stakes and what is going on behind the scenes and all these things. Right. That is the cosmic awesomeness that is in the book of Ephesians. Right. But again, that epicness also has an intensely personal side because we are we are not just talking about the cosmic. We're talking about the common. We're talking about the everyday. We're not just talking about things that are transcendent. We're talking about the intimate aspects of our lives. And so you'll notice that as we go through Ephesians, you know what starts happening? We start seeing how this immense God 
who has condescended to engage us at the most foundational point of our need, that is our salvation, right? That not only does he do that, but he starts to engage us on all of the everyday realities of our life. And so we start seeing how this cosmic epicness also relates to our marriages, and to the way we raise our children, and to the way we work, and to even our very faith and and things that we talk about maybe in terms of spiritual warfare, but we're talking about the way we grow, right? The way we turn from sin and follow Christ. And so he begins to show us that, man, we're not just talking about these big things that are going on behind the scenes that you're never going to have access to. We're showing you how those things are playing out in your daily lives, in the most basic foundational units of human interaction, right? The things that every culture in every place in the world is dealing with marriage family work belief okay all these things zoom in and so that's why the passage starts with this and it's key to remember these things right verse two the very beginning of ephesians what is paul's welcome his greeting grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ right The God of all things meets us in a posture of grace with the goal of peace. We have to hold those things in our head, right? God is not the God of Islam, right? He is not this awesome, omnipotent person that just wants to squash us, okay? Um, And he is a loving, caring father, a personal God of kindness and blessing, of grace, the grace of adoption and and forgiveness and belonging, all right? He is a God who wants good for your life, not just pleasure, not just simple earthly kind of good, but eternal good and the rest that he wants for us, the rest from the conflict that has marked every single second of our lives for our whole lives, the division that comes between us and God, the division that comes between in our marriages and in our families and, and with our neighbors, even the division that comes between races and nations, right? He's addressing in the book of Ephesians, and he's saying Jesus has come to fix all that. Jesus has come not only to give us this desired rest, this rest that we have not had since the garden, right? But he is coming to sum all things up under his headship, that all things are going to be brought together under him, right? And so I'll just close with this. We need a vision that big of the universe to give us hope, all right, to give us a purpose for our lives, right? We need a vision that big. But guess what? We also need a vision that is small enough that we can get out of bed in the morning, okay? We need something that is close enough and intimate enough, Um, and affects our daily lives enough so that we don't just look at this thing and go, man, it's just this big, scary thing going on, and I'm just this little person who has nothing to do with all this stuff. No, God says that is going on behind. There are forces at work that you could not comprehend, right? Um, There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy, all right? But at the same time, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your employees, the way you treat your coworkers, those are all things that are part of that epicness, part of that, that whole system that is going on around us every day, okay? Ephesians is that vision.
So that's what I'm telling you, right? There, there's, I'm, I'm not going to say, well, this scripture is more important than other scriptures, right? But at the same time, it's kind of more important than other scriptures, okay? It's, um, it has a more central place in our lives, right? It has a bigger category kind of forming place. Um, you are blessed to read all the scriptures, and yet there are certain places that if you zoom in on them, you will have a myopic vision uh, of the world around you. You go to Ephesians. Um, it is going to open the scale, right? Um, and you're going to see the bigger picture. I hope you're excited about Ephesians because I'm excited about Ephesians. I think it's going to be a fun ride to get into. Um, there's lots of good stuff in there. Um, we are going to be hitting it fast because you might say 13 weeks. Good grief. I don't even know what I'm going to be doing in 13 weeks or whatever. 13 weeks is not enough time to go through the book of Ephesians, right? We are going to be hitting it pretty fast. There's six chapters. That means about two sermons per chapter. That's not enough. Um, but we're going to go through it that quick. Um, and, and try to keep all, you know, without trying to drag it out and, and whatever. So, um, I say we're going to do that, just for the record. <laughs> Sometimes it gets away from me, right? And I go, okay, we've spent six weeks in chapter one and three verses. Okay. But, you know, sometimes that happens, but I don't think that's what happened to us in Acts. I don't know if you knew that. Like, we were going to go through like the first eight chapters of Acts and we got through two because I just couldn't keep it. I couldn't keep it tight. So, but we'll see what happens. If, if we get there and we go, eh, we need some more time, then we'll just shift and, and go into the beginning of the next year or something like that. So, um, but I hope you're excited about it. So what I would encourage you is this. Um, one, be in the text, right? Be reading Ephesians, be reading Colossians too, right? Um, try to be here. Um, if, if, if you can't be a part of, of this time over the next few weeks, then at least try to get um, the, the sermon audio and, and so you can be a part of this discussion. I hope the case is this, is that um, our small groups will be a little more focused on discussion about some of these things as we move into um, the fall. All the other things that go on in small group are great, right? Fellowship and prayer. All good, not, not wanting to diminish any of those things at all. But I hope that we make some time and carve time out um, to really kind of dig into the things that we're talking about each week. So uh, let me pray for us, and, um, and then I'll have uh, uh, Cody come back up and lead us, and we'll be closed for this evening. Father God, uh, we, um, we thank you for all of the stuff that we have just touched on um, tonight. Um, God, I'm just thinking ahead, just in chapter one alone, um, the, the incredible um, uh, spectrum of what you have done for us. Um, God, literally your working and blessing and desire for our good from literally eternity past to eternity future is laid out in that first chapter. God, we see um, the incredible, um, intricate, exhaustive nature of your goodness and your grace in our lives, God. And so we just ask that as we um, go through this series, um, as, we, as we read, as we learn, and as we um, are, are molded by your word, God, that you would use this to open up our eyes to your glory, um, that we would see you for who you actually are, um, that our lives would be marked by a, a, a vision of you that makes us forget the goofy, um, petty stuff uh, of our lives, God, um, and that we would get this grand vision of what you have in store for us, God, but then that we would take that grand vision 
um, that we would take that glory and that, that beauty and that we would recognize that it touches um, all these different relationships that you have given us. God, things that you have intended, that you created, um, even uh, in Eden, these, these ideas of, of work and rest and marriage and family um, and life and worship and spirituality and faith, God, that you have marked all these things by your great plans. Um, help us to see that and help us to live our lives every day in light of those things. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.